This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luca Levitz Mabler. And I'm Yannick Mia. And what's our topic tonight? Photography. Ooh. And I heard that we might also talk about something else that is kind of more related about managing photos. Yeah, I mean, it goes hand in hand. Oh my, you want me to blabber a lot tonight. I guess. Um... <laughs> Before we stop, I do know that you have follow-up, so let's start with your follow-up first. Yeah, I mean, uh, last episode we recorded sort of early because it was a special episode, and so it feels like we've taken like a month off, and it's really weird to come back and finally be recording again. Uh, in the meantime, there has been quite a bit of game console news, uh, so I'm going to try to blast through it pretty quickly. Uh, first of all, last week, uh, Digital Foundry, of course, friends of the show, um, <laughs> they put out a really interesting video where... Um, the RX 480, which we mentioned a couple of episodes ago, uh, which oh. is a really good graphics card for PCs that is sort of the low-end VR-ready graphics card to get these days, um, it turns out that it's basically the same exact GPU that would be in the PlayStation Neo, according to the current developer kits that are out there, except downclocked a little bit. So what they did is they downclocked the card, and they can basically simulate what performance is like on PlayStation Neo. And there were a lot of really cool things. Now, they also did the same thing with the equivalent card for the PlayStation 4, which we currently have. So they compared PC to PC, but basically running on, quote, PS4 hardware and Neo hardware um, to give fair comparison numbers so that it's not influenced by the quality of the build or the optimizations or anything like that. And sort of the conclusions they've drawn from that are really interesting. So 1440p performance is about equal or slightly better to 1080p performance on the PlayStation 4 right now. Um, So you can pretty much take any PS4 uh, 1080p game right now and convert it to 1440p on the PlayStation Neo and it will run basically exactly the same. Uh, That's cool to know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the 1440p is kind of the half step between HD and 4K. Well, that's what I'm getting to. There are two half steps between there. Well, I guess they're not really half steps. They're sort of quarter steps. Third, but w- yeah. what are yeah, third steps, whatever. Um, but there's 1440p. There's also 1800p, uh, which is another resolution that they tested. And 1800p is much, much more dependent on the types of effects in the game that you're playing. Um, but pretty much the conclusion to draw is 1800p is pretty much the highest the upper bound of what's playable on PlayStation Neo, uh, if we're being realistic. So you're not going to be doing 4K native gaming on PlayStation Neo. Of course, you can upscale those resolutions to 4K, and there are some crazy upscaling techniques. I looked a little bit at the science behind modern upscaling techniques, and it's pretty insane what they do to make it look clean. Um, I know Rainbow Six Siege, I think it is, basically renders everything at half the resolution and just uses crazy ass anti-aliasing to make it look good and somehow it actually ends up looking good i mean it's unbelievable when you actually see the results um so that's more or less what to expect from playstation neo uh what's also interesting is because they are using ps4 spec and ps neo spec pcs they can also run games which aren't even out on playstation 4 yet including your personal uh topic of interest rise of the tomb raider which is only on xbox one and windows 10 right now uh they were able to simulate well what is performance going to be like on playstation 4 under xbox one settings and what is the equivalent performance 
on a PlayStation Neo? And what kind of settings could they juice out of that? So it's really interesting to see the kinds of things they can do when they have these sort of PCs that run at approximately the same specs as the real shipping hardware for PlayStation 4 and the rumored hardware for PlayStation Neo. Um, next up, uh, last week... Uh, there... By the way, before you go on, it's uh, funny that you mentioned uh, Razer the Tomb Reader because we got a date for it for the PS4, finally. Yep. So it should be out... Uh... Um, I think my note might be wrong. Oh no, it's uh yes, it's uh on the uh October eleventh, and they are doing a kind of a twenty anniversary celebration game uh edition of the game for the PS4. So uh, pretty excited about it, and I have a note in my phone to remind me when to buy it. And in theory, since it's in October, and every game start uh, released in the month of October and afterwards needs to be optimized for PlayStation Neo, so we'll see about that. But that's pretty interesting. Uh, don't next tell up, me I need to buy a new PC AS4, please. Don't uh, I, I don't think you will, but we'll see about that. Uh, yeah, so next up is the Nintendo NX, which, once again, last week, uh, there were some leaks from developers, I guess, that sort of seemed to indicate the platform is going to be based off of the NVIDIA Tegra X1 mobile um, chipset, which is pretty interesting because it's basically the high end of what is possible right now in terms of mobile graphics, um, there's some sort of debate about uh, the thermal requirements of that because, uh, I mean, like technically the NX uh, development hardware right now has a fan, um, but one of the other things that came out of the rumors is NX is basically a handheld that you can dock and play on your television with detachable controllers that are built into the system. Um, so you can basically split out these two controllers, which can be used for multiplayer gaming uh, and when you're plugged into a TV. So that's sort of strange. And in theory, I guess it might also be possible that you can just set the NX down on a random table and play multiplayer games as well if you detach them. I'm not sure where the battery is or what visually that rep- that looks like, but it's an interesting idea to play around with. Um, of course, there are people who are concerned that Tegra X1 is not of good enough specifications to actually live up to expectations of what gamers want in graphics these days. Um, Digital Foundry, once again, put out a great video that basically says, what happens if you try to emulate Wii games and uh, GameCube games on an Android system with Tegra X1? What kind of graphics performance can you get out of it uh, to simulate, well, can they get backwards compatibility for those games into their system and performance again varies a lot depending on game to game but for the most part you can get pretty decent performance out of emulating those games um and of course they would have to resort to emulation in those cases because unlike gamecube wii and wii u which sort of share an underlying power pc platform that's pretty consistent um this is completely different it's arm right so they would have to emulate and it seems like emulating the gamecube and the wii is doable um so yeah, we'll see. I don't think it's going to live up to like... I, I think at best it's parity with PS4 and Xbox One, which once again, they're revving the hardware. So <laughs> it's sort of one run revision behind always. Yeah, but to be honest, their strategy seems pretty interesting to me. Uh, the, it reminds me of that... Uh, I know a couple of manufacturers were doing those uh, kind of hybrid phone computers, but I think Microsoft has been uh, pushing a lot on these with the Windows 10. 
like you, when you can dock your Windows Phone 10. I don't remember if they, they use... Oh, no, they don't use Windows Phone anymore, but still. Like those Windows 10 smartphones that you can dock on a specific dock that is also connecting to uh, a display and has a couple of USB ports and kind of transform your your smartphone into a quote-unquote like real Windows PC. And I would be interested to see uh, what would be the outcome of that because uh, we by looking at those phones, we've seen that the hybrid approach is somewhat kind of uninteresting. Like it's you have a phone that is is okay and you have a PC that is okay. So why not get two different devices that will do both, not both things, but they will do their own things awesomely. Yep, and to a certain degree, you're making the quality of your home games lesser by trying to also target mobile at the same time, and it's just a little bit worrisome that they're still going to be behind on the hardware front, even though, like, to be perfectly honest, the Wii U's problem isn't that its hardware is bad, really. I mean, from a user perspective, that's not the problem. For From a developer's perspective, it is. Now, if you're continuing the tradition of having underspect hardware, you're not really making things better for third-party developers. You're only making it more accessible because it's ARM and pretty much every game studio these days are targeting mobile devices because they that's where the money is. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, still pretty interesting to see. Anything else to say on the NX before I move on to the Xbox One S? Let's move to Microsoft. Okay, Xbox One S. I'm not sure if it comes out this week, but reviews came out this week. And the idea with Xbox One S is it's basically a slim down, much prettier Xbox One with a redesigned controller. I think it looks really cool. A lot of people are reviewing it very, very well, uh, saying it's what the Xbox One should have been all along. What's pretty interesting is that with the latest software updates to the Xbox, all of that TV functionality that made it basically your new set-top box for cable or whatever, uh, all of that is basically now buried inside a little toggle in the settings app that you have to enable yourself. So it's no longer a focus of the operating system. Gaming is the full focus of the operating system and ostensibly Netflix and all those apps and whatnot. Um, But the thing to note about Xbox One S is there were rumors leading up to the launch that they were making the hardware a little bit, tiny bit faster than the original Xbox One. And nobody was really able to confirm that until this week when the rumors came out. And it seems, with a certain bit of benchmarks, that they overclocked the GPU a little bit in this unit. Now, the strange thing is they didn't overclock it enough to actually have parity with PlayStation 4, the original PlayStation 4. So it's sort of like a half step between the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 in terms of performance, which honestly doesn't really change anything. <laughs> I mean, and you it, can see maybe like a 3 or 4% increase in frame rates in most games that aren't uh, frame-capped already. Yeah, and if I recall correctly from the news that I've seen, like in the best scenario, people have seen, what, at most 8 to 10% better performances? Like... 10% is not that big, even for a small upgrade. I think the highest I've seen is 7, really. 7%. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm, it's I'm not sure. a huge deal. No, it's it seems that they just like slim down and realize, oh, this part is like, this maybe GPU is just 
like tinier and it can fit on the board and it's also a bit faster so let's just put it in and it's easily available so it's cheaper to make and i think they they made some nice changes to the cooling system within the xbox one which might have enabled the possibility to actually overclock it and get away with it which is probably why they did it i mean might as well um but again if you're looking for big performance gains on xbox one you're probably waiting for project scorpio which is coming out sometime next year so we have that to look forward to uh, so maybe I, just just I'll go on, but uh, yeah, maybe if okay, um, maybe before we continue on the video games follow up. Actually, so that was it. Car- I'm all, oh okay. I'm all oh, out. Okay, that's good. Then to conclude it, I would say, um, the current timeline for those kind of after generation upgrades would be that right now the rumor says that the new PS4 should be released by the end of the year, and this new kind of upgraded xbox one which is not the the s model we just mentioned about should be out what like spring 2017 or just early 2017 i would imagine they would probably announce the well i don't know um i'm trying to think of what big events there are to announce like a release date on and i mean nothing really ties them to an event but i guess they could announce a release date at ces and release it sort of in march at the same time as the nx is rumored to be coming out yeah, and it does feel weird that both of those consoles will skip the Christmas market. The Christmas period, sorry. Like, it seems, according to the current rumors, that Sony will be ready for this time, this year's Christmas period. And maybe, if we're lucky, even uh, Black Friday and all. So people will be able to rush, and obviously, hopefully, it won't be a supply constraint. But in the best case scenario, um, we should be able to get the new generation of PS4 for Christmas, and I'm sure it will sell like hotcakes. Yeah, and don't forget, it's launching with PlayStation VR at the same time, which is going to be a big deal, I think. That's what I think, too. And this is where it feels strange to me that Microsoft would skip and maybe kind of wait a year to might have big numbers during a Christmas season. And same for Nintendo. Obviously, if they're not ready, they're not ready. That's okay. But if you were able to kind of make it push a bit to be ready for it, feels to me that would be a better opportunity to get bigger numbers and maybe catch up a bit, uh, especially for Microsoft, catch up a bit on Sony. And just before we move on, one last data point. Nintendo 3DS, uh, a lot of people remember that its launch was basically a disaster. Um, It was a March launch, I believe. And by the holiday season, they had basically declared it a failure internally. And they had to because most other Nintendo handhelds launched in the holiday season. And if you compared it to them, they all looked much, much, much better. Um, But, I mean, it's natural because you just launched right after the holiday season instead of before the holiday season. So you can't really compare like the first quarter of Nintendo 3DS sales to the first quarter of Nintendo DS sales because they're in completely different periods of the year. Um and, yeah, I- and Oh yeah, and exactly. And especially from all of my research I did at the beginning of the year for our platform state of the union for the video games, like all of the numbers backing up that to have great success with the console, it is a good idea to launch it just before Christmas. Yep, because then developers see that there's an install base because you launched it during the holiday season instead of having 3DS launch in March and then for nine months nobody owns it. 
and then nobody wants to make games for it because by the time Christmas comes around, there's no <laughs> there's nobody with it, right? Exactly, and and still we still see in the like shopping trends that people like maybe like you have like uh, family people that wants to buy a new console for their kids or video games are still a kind of a maybe not a free uh, game but kind of an easy idea for Christmas gifts so you can still sell tons of sell at that period so it just felt strange to me too that they are going to skip it but we'll see we might be wrong for once yep uh, before we move on I think you had something to say about Apple Pay yes Yannick <laughs> Yannick I am finally able to use Apple Pay daily and do you know why because Tangerine got support for Apple Pay. Yes. And to be honest, though, they were pretty kind of right. They, uh, initially, they said kind of six to eight weeks in May, which would mean July. And then when July started to arrive, they say by the end of July. And Apple Pay support for their MasterCard credit card got finally launched on August 1st. So on August 1st, they was. Uh, big, uh, not big PR, but small PR, which was surprising compared to what all of the big banks has been done in the past few uh, weeks regarding Apple Pay. But it's just like, oh yeah, two or three days before August 1st, we updated our terms of condition on the website and they refer to Apple Pay, so people knew that it was coming pretty soon. And then on August 1st, some like Canadian blogs were like, yeah, Tangerine now supports uh, Apple Pay. And if you go on the Tangerine website on the main page, no mention of Apple Pay. It's when you go dig to the credit card and you see, oh, there's an Apple Pay logo now. So they'd say that it's now uh, fully supported. But yeah, um, so we're now recording on August 4th. So it's been, uh, what? Two days, three days since it has been launched, maybe two days uh, since I've added it on both my iPhone and Apple Watch, and I was able to do a transaction on each device. And the first, after the first transaction, I, I just had to text Yannick and just say, like, Apple Pay is so magic. Uh, I'm sure you'll still be jealous when we meet uh, again in Trois-Via and I'll be able to use it, and you won't because Desjardins is still not supporting it. But yes. Do you want to know what's even worse? Is today I had two chip errors with my card. So it's dying again. I have to get a new one. (laughs) Again? Oh my goodness. So maybe next time I'll be forced to pay because your card will be broken and you haven't replaced it. But at least I will pay with Apple Pay. Nice. So I think think we can finally close the mobile payments topic. Wait, it doesn't count when I get to use it? No. Wow, I'm that's up. rough. <laughs> no, no, no. Kidding aside, uh, I think, but I think maybe the next update will be when your bank will support it, and hopefully for or when I ch- so. change banks. Uh, I have my bets on whether uh, you change banks first or whether Desjardins uh, will support it first. And it'll be the day I decide to end my card. They'll announce it. They'll be like, "Hey, guess what? Finally." Knowing how lucky you are, it will be it will be this exact situation. God damn it! Now let's move to photography and photo management. Yes, twenty one minutes later, let's talk about photography. <laughs> um, so and I would like to mention before you start that offline, just be after uh, before we started recording, and 
you were like, oh, I'm not sure, blah, blah, blah. Maybe, maybe it will be like, it will be a quote-unquote short show. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay, okay. Um, so I just want to stay up front that uh, I am thinking of maybe turning this into a three-part series um, because I am interested in revisiting uh, all aspects of Apple's Digital Hub strategy. Um, so for people who aren't too familiar with Digital Hub, the idea was uh, in basically 2001, uh, Steve Jobs got up on stage and said, the new strategy is Digital Hub. And then he said, uh, we want the computer or at that time, I guess it was the iMac to be the digital hub of your lifestyle and take care of your photos, take care of your music, take care of your uh, movies and just be the central point of your digital lifestyle. And whoa, I think... whoa, whoa, but the way I remember it was four pillars and you just said three. What was the fourth one? I don't know. I literally oh, don't remember. But I, okay, I thought it was, uh, you did, we did mention something like the iWeb things or something like that. Maybe sharing stuff was the Well, iWeb one. wasn't there at launch. There was iDVD, but iDVD is sort of included in movies in my thing. And that didn't <laughs> launch with Digital Hub either. Oh, right, right. Huh. Okay, but so just to. So what we're saying is, if we don't remember the fourth one, it's because it's not important. And hopefully it is really not important. Yeah. Um,. I, I don't really want to talk about DVDs. I am more interested in CDs than DVDs. Um, but we're not talking about that today. Today we're talking about photography. Uh, namely, we are talking about two aspects. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what we use to do photography. Um, because that has changed a lot in the last decade. Um, for a lot of us, I would imagine. Um, and that's sort of a nerdy part of me is I like to talk about gadgets and more and more gadgets are being subsumed by smartphones. So big-ass cameras are sort of one of the last gadgets that are left for us to talk about. And for now, I'd like to talk about them while we still can before the iPhone camera devours them all. Um, after that, I sort of want to talk about photo management, which is the other elephant in the room. Uh, it is a topic that is talked to death on other podcasts as well. but. Uh, we have interesting journeys with regards to our own photo management that we have wanted to share for quite a while. Uh, I think more to you than myself, and <laughs> we are going to do that as well. Um, yeah, I think we've recently teased a bit that we will finally talk about photo management. Um, and obviously you wanted to talk about hardware, which is also interesting because I think both of our experience with our a buying decision in the last few uh, years, and I would say even the last decade, because uh, this market has changed so much that both of us, as far as I know, haven't bought any kind of like, let's put it old school photography hardware since maybe 28, 28 2008, 2009. I bought my camera in 2011. My newest uh, one. Huh. I was I was sure it was a bit older than that. No, but I can talk a little bit about my history uh, to kick those off. So, 2006. Yeah, 2006. Uh, I got my first job. Um, I was doing data entry at an optometrist's office that my mom worked at. 
And with that money, I ended up buying a digital camera because it turned out that that summer I would be going to Switzerland because that was my uh, birthday present from my uh, aunt and uncle who lived up there. So I got my digital camera and I started taking photos and all that stuff. And it was some Canon point and shoot. I don't remember the exact number. I think it's probably like A37E or something like that. Uh, it wasn't that series. It had a zoom lens, but I mean, it, it's, it was an optical zoom, but and it, you know, point and shoot camera zooms aren't really the greatest. Um, but it got the job done. And then retina displays came out and I was very concerned <laughs> because the problem is this was a camera I bought in 2006. I was looking at these photos on iPhones in 2011 ish. And I was like, oh shit, there's going to be a Retina Display iPad. And the problem is my photos aren't big enough to fill the screen of the Retina Display iPad, so they're going to be blocky as fuck. And yes, in 2012, I got my Retina iPad and my photos were blocky as fuck. Um, so I made the decision in 2011, knowing that I was also trying to go to Japan in 2012 for my birthday, um that I was going to buy a real camera and I did a lot of research because that is what nerds love to do when they buy new products is do a lot, a lot of research. And I ended up deciding on getting a Sony NEX three, which was the low end. Well, it was one of two models at the time in uh, the NEX lineup of mirrorless cameras from Sony. Um, and now it's sort of all blended in with the rest of the alpha line because they're, NEX is technically an offshoot of the Alpha digital SLR series from Sony. Um, but eventually they sort of realized that mirrorless isn't really the side gig for Alpha anymore. It's sort of become the main attraction and the SLR sort of take the back burner. Um, so they've all blended that into the Alpha series, which means I don't actually know the names of any of the new models of cameras because they're all A, some number, and I am shit remembering this information. Um, so I'm not going to talk about them. Um, I love my NEX. It is easily one of the easiest to justify purchases I have ever made. I feel embarrassed that I don't use it as much as I should because it costs a lot of money. And I mean, every photo I have gotten out of that camera has been worth the price of admission of getting that camera. But I feel like I should be taking way more photos with that camera. And we'll talk a little bit more about which camera I use when a little later, um, because I think that's also a very interesting thing to suss out is really what is the criteria, the criteria that makes me reach for my big camera and what is good enough for an iPhone. Um, and I think we should probably talk about what your camera setup was and what your decision was to get that camera and whether or not you regret that decision now, or I don't know, stuff like that. Uh, sure. Um, and you know what? I might go a little bit uh, earlier than that. Um, I think one of the first gadgets I've ever bought, and I don't remember the exact order, but it's either this Kodak camera that was, what, two or three megapixels that I got for real cheap because like at that, at that point, it, it was kind of the time where Kodak realized that, fuck, we're kind of missing the digital photo both, even if we have half of the pattern in it, but let's not go on that. And it was at that period where they were having cheap 
models in the digit like in the digital photography hardware so as a kid like i was what like 10 or 11 maybe 11 12 so as a kid getting a new camera even if it's like a hundred dollars was pretty hard so um i did kind of summer jobs and like you know cash that the parent gives you uh, doing chores and all of that shit and i was able to buy it and uh this lasted for uh a while and this kind of blurs a bit in my mind i think it lasted kind of uh like like maybe a year or two of elementary school plus at uh, the beginning of high school until uh we started to do uh school trips and i was working and decided that uh it might be a good idea to have a better camera for the uh for some of those uh school trips especially when i was in my last year of high school when i went to egypt so with all of uh, the kind of part-time job that i had at that time I was able to get myself a Canon PowerShot PowerShot A570 IS, if I recall correctly. (laughs) I think we had Um, basically the same camera, except I had the 3.7 megapixel and you had the 5.7 megapixel. (laughs) Something like that. Uh, I don't remember the exact model, but I just, I do remember that it it had image stabilization. And I used that camera for... A couple of years to be honest and it was kind of my go-to camera and it was uh, pretty flexible but still it was kind of those one uh, point and shoot until one time when i was in cjep uh one of my good friend's sister kind of decided to go into kind of more quote-unquote art code photography and she decided to buy herself a nikon d5000 which at that time was around 2008 2009 2009 if I recall correctly yes and at that time it was kind of at end at this at the end of this generation so the d5000 was starting to be real cheap on the like uh, at a photography shop or at any typical like e best buy future shop store so i spent a weekend with friends and using our camera and i completely felt in love with a camera like completely in a week in a weekend it it went from i don't know how slr works to i need one in my life <laughs> so that was pretty funny and i do remember at that time that i did tons of research and also asked uh your dad a lot because uh your dad used to be a photographer uh, in a, a previous life and also a big nikon fan yeah so, funny uh, story about that i just remembered this i didn't mention this in my original section when i was considering buying a sony camera i knew i would have to tell my dad that i was going to buy a sony camera since this is an all nikon household so i was i was envisioning that he was going to be like no son of mine is going to own a sony camera or something to that like uh but uh it seems everything went well because basically i articulated all of my points and i said like basically i love this camera you are not going to separate me from this camera and so it's nice yeah. to be to know that i'm able to do that kind of stuff yeah and, and knowing your dad uh it, it would be the kind of thing he will tell he will tell you just half true and half jokingly tell you just to make you freak you freak out a bit yeah so i can imagine it the the stress you could have but yeah uh, so to go back to the story like your dad helped me a lot and it was at the time where mirrorless cameras started to be on the market but they were fucking expensive yes and um the quality wasn't 
I wouldn't say the quality wasn't that great. They were expensive, and they had maybe lesser quality, like image quality than like entry level to mid tier. Which uh, the D five thousand is kind of like in the Nikon uh, lineup. It's kind of a like I think they call it kind of a entry professional camera, meaning that it's like enthusiast photographers that might be their first uh, DSLR camera they want to get it, but it's not their entry level DSLR. Um, so at that point, I decided to just uh, chip in, find a good deal, and had a hard time to find them new because uh, it was the end of the production and the new generation was coming in in a few months, I think up to six months, because I do remember that I, it, there was a long period after I was able to find a good deal and find one in stock that the new model got released, which was the 5100. And since 2011, uh, 2009, 20, 2009, sorry, that has been my primary camera, except obviously um, the, the iPhone, iPhone I owned. Yeah, yeah, obviously the iPhone. But I think it, it goes without mention that uh, most of us and I will assume that when we talk about this main photography hardware, back, like, back in shadows, there's the iPhone that lives in your pocket and is always with you and blah, blah, blah. And since 2009 i kind of felt in love and kind of start to be kind of start to see disadvantages of the dslr life especially compared to when you did your purchase and when because you did your purchase if correct me if i'm wrong but you did your purchase when the mirrorless boom started yeah, the NEX3, which I bought, was basically in the first wave of Sony's uh, mirrorless cameras. There was the NEX3, which is basically the same camera as the NEX5, except it's plastic instead of a metal casing. That is literally the only difference between the two cameras. <laughs> um, so it was a really good mirrorless camera for like 600 bucks. Yeah, which for my DSLR, I paid more 8 900 if I recall correctly. Which which was for um the typical like kit lens, which is a eighteen fifty five millimeters, and also I have a fifty five to two hundred millimeters. Like it's either one fifty or two hundred. And I'll be honest with you, most of the time I use the kit lens because that's for my needs the most flexible ones, and it's pretty good for it. It has pretty good image uh, quality and. Or the obviously it's the kit lens, but uh, after reading tons of reviews about it, like people say that it is a good lens for the price you pay for it. Yep. So since purchasing this uh, camera, I've done a couple of trips. Uh, my biggest one with it was my six month in Sweden during my university studies. So I've been to Stockholm with it. I've been to uh, tons of places in Europe with it. Including Paris, Stockholm, uh, my own the home the place where I was studying Linköping, and many more. And during my trip, this is where I kind of realized that I might have regretted buying a giant DSLR. Uh oh. Yeah, and what I felt, and especially I think it's also caused by the image quality gains that the iPhone made in the last few years 
is you, you start to realize that I'm I'm a person I'm, I'm I know that you are a bit like that. I love to travel light, and obviously it's hard to travel light when you spend six months in another country. <laughs> so it's kind of easy to pack up uh, like DSLR and two cameras and blah blah blah. But when I was traveling around Sweden and Europe a bit, like I want to travel with like a kind of a school, a typical school backpack to have clothes for the next two days and a camera in it. And when half of the backpack is kind of the camera disassemble with the two lenses and all of that stuff, you kind of start to kind of uh, have to make hard choices on what you decide to bring with you uh, to travel cheaply and to go uh, to be flexible enough during your travels, especially because during the week I was at school and during the weekends I wanted to travel as much as I could. And I've sort of realized what I loved about the iPhone is you just point, shoot, 95% of the time. And the 5% of the time when I want to play with settings and blah, 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 I can. Obviously, uh, the like more recent version of iOS uh, and the most recent version of the iPhones gives you even more settings and more abilities to go in, quote-unquote, manual mode. But it felt to me that when I was using the DSLR, I would never leave it in auto and just let the camera figure it out. Because I like I have a DSLR. I should learn how to properly take a pictures, properly uh, adjust the aperture and all of that stuff. So it, it kind of forced me to better understand how to do photography. But at the same time, it got me stuck in those, like a play with the settings and just like, kind of not immerse myself uh, in the moment that I was enjoying during my trip. I was more like kind of focused a bit in like playing the settings and make sure that the picture is right and the f my settings were right. And maybe like was kind of like uh, this, not disturbed, but kind of just like my mind was more like focusing on those compared to maybe the picture I wanted to take, which was a beautiful scenery, picture of friends and all of that stuff. Yeah, um, I guess if I go into, like, when I use which camera, because I think I have a stricter system than that. Um, first of all, whenever I'm doing touristy things, I am going to be using the big camera, no doubt about it. Because I think that um, one of the things that I think is unfortunate about my old photos with my old Canon camera is that now those photos are unusable for basically anything. Um, I can't use them as desktop wallpapers, even though I have some great photos of Toronto or great photos of Switzerland that I would love to use as wallpapers from time to time. They're literally 3.7 megapixels. Like they are a thumbnail on my com on my current computer, which is a Retina MacBook Pro. Uh, same thing on the iPad Pro. Like it it's a complete joke. Those photos are basically worthless now. And I... I don't regret taking them because at least I have some trace of those things that I've done, but I can't really do anything useful with those photos anymore. And I think that's I think the I think those pictures has become the equivalent of a four by six inches picture that all of our parents have of or our child. Polaroids. Oh Polaroids too. I mean it's... they're sort of becoming disposable and faded like those things because we can't really do anything useful with them really. 
it's really unfortunate. Um, I still keep those photos because, I mean, like, seriously, they're not that big <laughs> relative to modern photos. Um, but, yeah, that sort of basically started my system of anytime I'm doing anything touristy or I'm trying to capture an area to either show it off to people uh, when I'm doing photo slideshows or if I just want to have a memory of this photo that I can uh, a memory of this place that I can have as a wallpaper years down the line i use the big camera because first of all the quality is going to be amazing and second of all it's going to result in a bigger picture than the iphone shoots mostly um the the reasons i use my iphone is really more if i'm in the moment if i mean technically i use my uh nex mostly on p uh, which is sort of like semi-auto. <laughs> uh, you can fiddle around with the settings, but you don't need to. Um, you can set the ISO, but you don't need to. You can basically use it as a fancy auto mode, and it mostly does the right thing, and that's great, and you just have the flexibility to just go in and change stuff if you need to. Uh, so that's great. But even then, like when I'm at the restaurant, I don't want to lug out my big camera to take out photos of myself and my friends, and I mean... As much as I hate selfies, front-facing camera are much more viable for that than using uh, an NEX. Um, so whenever I'm with friends or doing something in a public place, especially with the iPhone 6's stellar low-light photography, it was really a big step up from the iPhone 5, which was in turn a big step up from what came before it. Um, I don't feel like I'll lose that much when I'm taking photos in low light with my phone anymore. I mean, I, I know that like if I'm taking a photo of a night sky or uh, the cityscape of Yokohama, of course, I'm going to want to use my real camera. But for everything else, if I'm at a bar with friends and it's dark, I can still manage to get a great shot and it'll work out pretty well. Uh, so that's good. Um, a yeah, I think that's pretty much my rules. I, I was going to elaborate on it, but it would just be repeating more of the same, so I'm not really going to do that. Yeah, and um, I, I think mine these days is more like I use the iPhone, and in some rare occasion, I just use the DSLR, and that would be it. Like, uh, yes, obviously in my recent trips, if I were to go in, like on a big trip, I would make sure that I have my DSLR charge and all of that stuff because I know that uh, when I want to take uh, more pictures, that's what I've did. Like when I've been to California last year, my DSLR was with me. Uh, obviously, like when I was around the conference because I was there for Dub Dub, it's like obviously you take picture with your iPhone. But the second I was visiting, for example, Alcatraz, I had my DSLR with me. And I think the general rule is a bit like you said, it's like, when it's something, I, I I think that it will be the following. When it's something that you, it will be hard for you to experience, like, availably, like, really often, I will take the DSLR to make sure that I have the best memory I can and the best kind of... When I look back at this picture, it will... Looking at it will remind me what I was feeling when I was seeing that with my own eyes. And I still think that the like better cameras are able to capture that essence. And I know it's also part of your own creativity and the iPhone can do it. But it feels that capturing those details, especially like when it's a lovely day, there's tons of flowers around you, which was a good example at the Alcatraz National Park. It's just like, 
I look at those pictures these days, and it's just like it's weird because I kind of nearly smell the flowers, even if it's fucking pictures. Yeah, definitely. And even your choice of lens can sort of influence how a photo comes out. I have um, I have three lenses for my camera. Uh, one of one of which is a manual focus lens because it's adapted from an old Minolta lens mount. Um, but it was a cheap. 28 millimeter uh lens that i got off ebay but i love i i love how it low aperture or i guess yeah i guess the number is low but whatever i'm not sure the terminology it's been a while since i've actually looked into that stuff but anyway uh when it's wide open basically uh it looks amazing and it has so much more personality than photos I take with the two kit lenses that I have for my E-mount. And, I mean, I would love to have the Zeiss 28mm E-mount lens that has image stabilization for my camera. But because it's a Zeiss uh, lens, last time I looked at it, it was 1000 bucks, And I can't really pay that right now for a lens, especially when I only use it, like, maybe three or four times a year because I'm out doing touristy stuff. Um, I mean, the price of the camera was worth the price of admission, but can I really justify another $1,000 for a lens that I'll only use a couple times a year? I don't really know. Probably, if I do the math, it comes out to actually be worth it, but I don't know. Um, it really depends how much len- uh, longevity I think I have with the life of my camera, which I think I feel much better about the the life of this camera than the one I had in 2006, but you never know what display technology is going to happen in the next like five years yeah and exactly and then that is it is my current uh feeling about like either mirrorless or dslrs like full-on photography hardware these days is all of the like all of the experience i was explaining uh like five minutes ago about like feeling like like kind of getting those feeling back just like looking at the pictures the iPhone's camera quality and most of the smartphones currently on the market, like even the top of the line smart Samsung smartphone, their image quality is so good that you'll be able to kind of just like knowing how to like, take a proper picture and like frames your subject, you'll be able to get good pictures. But to better future proof yourself, this is where a DSLR or mirrorless will shine. Yeah, and it's like a no-brainer if you have a kid on the way, like, buy that camera because it's going to be worth it in the long run. You don't want to have, like, just iPhone photos of your kid. Like, yeah, you can do it. They'll probably look fine if you know what you're doing, but you will get so much more mileage out of those photos if you buy a, a real camera, either mirrorless or DSLR. Yeah, because it is still the right time if you want to have like big pictures, print them, and all that stuff, to have the flexibility to do so. It's not in ten years when you say, "Oh shoot, I should have like printed bigger pictures, or I should have made wallpaper of them." In ten years, like the technology will have moved so fast that maybe we'll have kind of cameras that always kind of take videos plus like will capture. Sense and like I don't know. I'm just trying to Im- imagine what we could have, but maybe you'll just able be able to feel the same way you feel through your senses, and you'll be able to capture all of this feeling your senses gives to your body through a 
a quote-unquote camera and then you'll regret taking just like five megapixel pictures with your tiny phone camera yeah uh so i think we've talked sufficiently about the hardware aspect of things no i I think you're right and i think all of this discussion and i think this all of this makes feelings regarding which camera to use when to use it uh also gets kind of um this this problem gets also moved and also uh transported to what do you do when you've done taking pictures yeah and honestly i feel like my workflows for photos have simplified significantly um but i guess we'll talk about that um did you want to start off the section? Because I know you've been aching to talk about what happens after you take your photos for a really long time. So I might as well just give you the spotlight now. <laughs> sure. But it, it mostly starts with, I don't do any, any shit with them. Hmm. That's strange. <laughs> um, and it is strange. And the best example of that is yet again, my trip in, to Sweden. Uh, it took, Obviously, when I was there, I started to, uh, like, triage them, edit them a bit, and blah, blah, blah. But I was so, like, like focused on making sure that all of the triage pictures should be edited a bit and make sure that they should be tweaked to get the straight, like, emotion feeling that I wanted. And, and in some cases, it's just, like, maybe, like, oh, this, I remember this area when I tried to take the picture. This should have been a bit more dark or... They should be a bit more bright. It's not applying filters. It's just like to make the picture look the way I remember it. Because I'll be honest, the, my creativity side is also is like use a lot when I take pictures, but that stops there. I cannot apply good filters and makes them look good. Like it's not my forte. So I just stick to when I edit pictures. It's to make them look the way I remember seeing what I was taking a picture of. And obviously, I procrastinated on that problem too. <laughs> I think I spent what... my I, Obviously, my, I'll, I'll totally be honest with that. Some of my Sweden trip pictures are still on SD cards. Oh my to this god. Day. Oh my god. My dad is going and to th- be so disappointed when he hears this episode. Not, he thought you were done. They're, they're not only on it. Correct. Don't correct me. It, I'm not saying they're only on there. Like right now, uh, I'll con- come back to that later. They're all on computers. They're all on backups. Uh, they've always been on backups, to be honest. Like uh, they are backups on Dropbox. Like I'm not that stupid. Let's be honest. What I meant that what I meant by they are on SD card is they haven't been important in my typical workflow. And for years, my typical workflow is just important into aperture i've been a long time and a big fan of aperture same rip yep rip and i've used i used to be an iphoto uh, user so can you imagine like in 2000 and i still have this library like i've started my iphoto library in 2007 and it has been migrated to aperture and now i've been on aperture and finally in the last few months i have finally migrated to photos.app and also migrated both libraries to follow that up. And if, now everything is on iCloud and all of that stuff. But still, to this day, 
Oh, and I might have thought, okay, no, now your dad would be disappointed because Uh-oh. now I'm sure that some of my pictures are only on SD cards. God I, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think some of my Californian pictures are only on SD cards. Because, see, that's a, that's kind of the problem. Like, when I take pictures on the iPhone, even when I was not using uh, iCloud photo libraries, they get backed up by the device. And I still can see them when I need them because they're on my iPhone. And besides my computer, the iPhone is the, uh, most, the other device that I use the most day in, day out. But um, in the last year, I've come into the realization and sometimes it's a really stupid situation. You're with friends, it's just like, remember when we did that? We did X. It's like, oh no, show me. And then, oh wait, I have a picture. And then you go in your camera roll and like scroll, 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 scroll. It's like, oh yeah, now I remember. Those pictures are on my aperture library. They're on my library on my computer. And Obviously, most of my friends are like, oh, they don't care. That's okay. Uh, just send me it, send it to me later. But at the same time, I personally feel as kind of the tech guy in my friend that if I was just like, hey, it's on my phone now. I wait a second to download it. Boom. We see it now. Like, we have the technology to do that. And that was itching for the last year. So I'm pretty happy that I've migrated my library. I've also took the opportunity to clean uh, some of it. I think I also f- finished my Swedish import. <laughs> well, it's funny. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. That has been my main problem in my workflow is I procrastinate a shit ton of it. Wow. While I look at what I'm... S- yes, okay. Warsaw, Talent, something. Shipping, yes, France, yes, all of it is imported and oh, cleaned. Oh, wow, and congratulations! Yes, but at the end, of what I've decided is just triage picture, keep the picture that looks good, and just because I some I recently had a discussion uh, at work with uh, some of my colleagues that are way better at photography than I am, and also way better at managing pictures than I am, <laughs> and my colleague Petras just said this exact sentence. It's like, when was the last time you wanted to look at those pictures? This was my response. Not a word. <laughs> and I said, why do you still keep this idea that you want to make them look better when you know that you, A, never look at them because A, they are not accessible, and B, if they were accessible, you don't seem to want to look at them that much. You will have like a tendency to be a bit nostalgic sometimes and look at them. And now it's easy for me to look at them. But still, when I look at them, I'm reminded of my trip. And I'm reminded of what I felt and all of the... Like I remember, oh yes, I was in this small town and I've like... Remember of this like trip and this uh, guided tour of Stockholm. Like I'm reminded of all those feelings even when I see those pictures. So why spend some time to just edit them when... Yes, they could be maybe 5% better, but I still am able to feel what I want to feel while looking at the picture. I'm being reminded, I'm being transported like four or five years ago, and that's what it's counted, and that's kind of why I've just decided to import them, remove the multiple copies of the same pictures, make sure that I have what I wanted to keep, and I've decided to let it go. Wow. I don't know how to follow that. Actually, I do. I have, oh, oh, but I'm not done. Oh, shit. 
because more. oh yeah sure because not everything is on follows that app the it solves half of my problem that i used to have first half is yes everything is on my phone it's backup to iCloud and everything is fine but it was a pain in the butt for me to synchronize them into the library because obviously since i was five let's say i was six, I was six even if it was introduced and i was five like i've been an avid user of like never using itunes Oh god. You, you you wouldn't say that of me a couple of years ago. I just remember when Yannick was so disappointed in me where I was synchronizing podcasts over iTunes. <laughs> I do remember when you gave me uh I think it was uh, Instacast. Instacast, yeah. Yes. Uh but then it flipped at some point and I will never, never and greatly never plug in my phone into the uh, into iTunes to synchronize shit. Oh I wish I could have that life. <laughs> I know. I know. And for a while, I was not able to access some of the music I had on my Mac, but that's another story. Maybe we'll keep it for the music section in a future episode. Oh, boy. <laughs> hey, come on. I'm like building the... Uh, Steve. Uh, yes, exactly. And then also making sure that we talk about the Steve's digital ob idea from oh 10 God. years ago. That's nearly 16 then. But Okay, let me continue. Uh, but yeah, so... That was part of the problem. Is like in my photo library, yes, there was some like mobile pictures, but most of them was the camera. And even if some of those pictures were of lesser quality on my iPhone, there are still pictures that I wanted to keep in them. Because let's be honest, most of the pictures I take with my phone, they could go away. Like, yes, there are some specific events that. I need to save those pictures because they are related to a trip or a special event in my life. But do I really, really, really need to keep the 10th picture of this week of my cat that I need to send my brother because my brother sent me a cat picture too? Yeah, or like I took a photo of a receipt. I have it in my photo library forever now. And it's just to get reimbursed or whatever. And now this has been done. This has been processed in your other workflows. But it's still in there. And that was this part of the problem. It's like triaging those pictures is easy on the iPhone. But then thinking about synchronizing it, pushing it and there. And then maybe synchronizing part of your library back on the iPhone. Uh, it's just like, okay, you lost me already. And on the other side, you have when I took pictures with my cameras, is either they were, like, most in most cases, I was pretty good, and I was importing them into Aperture, and they would stay there. I would triage them, remove the bad ones, maybe edit some of them, but let's not go too far, to be honest. But they would sit there. So, in the last few years, I just end up in, most of my memories being stuck in a computer without being accessible. And every time I needed them, they were not with me. And what I mean by that is, I was away with friends in the night. Oh, let's remember. Oh, crap. No, my photos on my computer. And just right now, having the flexibility of saying like, right now, I can go back to 2007, scroll up, back up and see, oh, yeah, let's remember the trip we did to Boston. Let's remember some memories we did when we had a party with friends at high school. I have those pictures now and I love this flexibility. And I think right now, being able to use a cloud f- 
photo management solution or photo storage solution let's put it this way and just being lazy about it i just need to make sure that those those pictures are in and maybe in a new version of ios i'll have better tools to help me find my friends by faces places objects whatever but in some cases the important part that i like right now in my quote-unquote new workflow is i don't mind scrolling five minutes but i know that those pictures are quote-unquote on my phone and this is where i will need them the most yep so i'm now fully done i'm I'm really really seriously i'm like with all of my blabber about my kind of broken workflow i'm sort of curious about your workflow because for what a four-year strike you've been to japan and taking a shit ton of pictures every year yes sir (laughs) in fact i i want to say that like more than three quarters of my photos are taken in japan maybe in my library that sounds right so it, it's a lot of photos. Well, first of all, I, I want to address a couple of things that you mentioned in uh, your workflow. The first thing is I have, of course, always been a slave to iTunes. So I have always synced all of my photos to my phone, and it's always worked pretty fine. Uh, it's not photos that I have issues with. It's everything else, um, unfortunately. <laughs> Thanks, iTunes. Um, but I'll be honest with you. I do remember a, per- a period in my life where I was synchronizing tons of pictures on my iPod. Yeah, but and... the, the, the thing is, back then it worked. <laughs> oh okay um so yeah so I, I didn't have those issues of always having my stuff uh on my computer and on my phone or on my ipod because i always had them on me um and this only sort of started becoming a problem more recently because again like i've said uh i have a ton of photos from my trips to japan over the last few years that were slowly becoming more and more of a threatening bubble in my photo library that i was continuing to sync everything to um, so I sort of changed my way of syncing photos, uh, like about a year before, uh, I, iCloud photos came out, which is, I would think, uh, well, back then I was using Aperture and, uh, importing everything and rating everything with stars. Um, I mean, you say that you procrastinate a lot. Um, I am a completion freak. So instead I was basically coming back from school every day and tagging photos until every single photo in there had a star rating. And this meant that I could sync only the five-star photos and only the pictures having me inside them. Uh, And that is not because I like to look at myself, uh, but it's because there are so few photos of myself that it is sort of important to have my photos on hand at all times in case somebody asks for a photo of something I was in, Um, which... I mean, it's, I'm not a celebrity, so it's not like an everyday occurrence, but it, I mean, like when you're setting up a new service uh, on your phone and you join a new app or something and it asks you for your avatar, you want to have like photos that you can use for profile pictures. And that is mostly what I was using that face album for. Um, so that was what I was thinking. And I was thinking like the last three months of photos or whatever. Um, and PhotoStream sort of helped with that because PhotoStream was really useful in keeping the last thousand photos always on my phone as well. So that was sort of what I was rolling with uh, leading up to iCloud Photos. And as I mentioned, I was using Aperture as well. Um, when I was starting to go to Japan, I was obsessed with, uh, well, first of all, I always shoot burst mode on my phone and on my 
big camera. And the reason for this oh. is I am caffeinated 100% of the day and I can't hold anything straight. Um, so on the iPhone, this is a godsend because the phone's graphics processor, if you hold the shutter button, will automatically choose the most stable one for you and keep the others as backups in case there was actually something in the shot that was only in one of the burst photos. Um, so I always use burst mode. I always get at least five shots of anything I shoot, which means I there have were... five times more storage on my iCloud library that is being used <laughs> up than I have to. Uh, there was a per- there was a period in uh, my kind of uh, photography life where I used to use burst mode. And what I've realized is in most cases, I've just have four copies of the same pictures. Exact four copy. Like I, I know you have your your handshake problem. Like when you're caffeinated, I've seen picture of you trying to take a steady <laughs> picture and doesn't work. No, I've seen that. It makes a big but difference for me. For me. It, it's the difference between having a usable photo at all and not having one. And that is why I would love to have a an actual lens for my camera that has optical image stabilization because neither one has it. Um, and it would... Oh, both of mine has it. Oh, see, th- that helps. <laughs> um, so none of mine have it and the manual focus one, forget it. Um, but uh, because not only am I not steady enough, but I also suck at manual focus. Although that was what I used in that video that I made for uh, for uh, the Limipo video extra last episode. Um but let me guess you also use a tripod. No, I used iMovie image stabilization. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I basically just burst mode all the things, um, which works great for the iPhone because the iPhone, again, has integrated support for burst, mo- burst mode and knows what a burst is. Uh, it doesn't show six duplicates of the same photo. It just shows the one that is good and the other ones are sort of Within the metadata, they're there. You can go select the one that was actually the best one if you find that the phone had a mistake. I have only had to use that feature twice since I've gotten my iPhone 6, so I don't really think it's necessary that much. Um, The only thing that is sort of a pain is there is no application, as far as I know, and I wanted to write one, but I didn't have the time, uh, to go back in time and clean all of the duplicates from your bursts. Um, it is not hard to write an application like this. I just haven't had the time and somebody should write one because I am too lazy to write it myself. Um, but what do you mean by cleaning the burst? Like either the iPhone one or... only the favorite burst for iPhone photos. That would automatically like save me so much space on iCloud you would not believe. Because again, every photo I take five shots at least. But I, th- I thought there was a setting for that. Where... Um... Maybe I'm wrong. Let me check. If you Real-time go follow if up. you go into the edit button for a specific burst and you decide to choose a new favorite, you can actually say keep only the favorite. But if you have a burst that you took and the phone decided the favorite and you want to keep that one, you have to manually go into each burst and do it. The problem is that's incredibly time consuming and I have bursts going back two years. So I would like to have an automated tool do it because an automo- an, ah, an automated tool can do it. It's all in the API. You have to write the code, but it, it's all there. I've done the research because I was going to write one. Um, okay, sure. So maybe I should I was just mix- finish. I was mixing up with HDR where you can say don't conserve the, don't save oh, the yeah. original photo. Yeah, yeah, Um. So yeah, burst mode all the time. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. That There's no support for burst mode coming from another camera because as far as 
your uh, photos.app is concerned, those are all different photos and there's nothing tying all those photos together. I don't know if modern photo manufacturer, uh, camera manufacturers could put something in the metadata that would indicate that they are all in the same series of bursts. I'm not sure about that. Uh, that would be immensely useful if they could. Um, unfortunately, that's not going to help my camera because I bought it in 2011 and they're not making firmware updates for it anymore. Um, and even if they were to put it, they would force you to use their software because only their software will use it, will be able to read this metadata. I wouldn't be surprised if that would be. I mean, case. if there's a standard for burst mode for EXIF tags, I don't know if there is, but if somebody makes it up, I don't see why that would require this software. I mean, they could make it software exclusive, but I don't think that's in anyone's interest really nowadays. Um, especially with the camera market becoming smaller and smaller. Um, so yeah, uh, so in that case, what I do is, uh, well, back in the day, what I did for Aperture is again, I was rating all of those with stars and I was rating, uh, the ones that were too blurry with zero, which it was rejected and, um, everything else I was rating, like normally if anything is below two stars, I don't even want it. But certain things, like, it's the one photo I have, and it's really shitty and blurry, but it's the only photo I have of this one thing that I really want to have. Like, okay, I'll rate it two stars. But everything else is sort of rejected. Um, I can't really do that with Photos.app anymore, because Photos.app scrapped star ratings entirely. And this sort of kills a lot of stuff that I had with my smart albums. Um, because I would do stuff like, say, make a smart album for Japan Photos that were five stars or four stars. And now I can't really do that. Um, I can just like a photo or not like a photo. Uh, and that is sort of limiting because like with the, um, well, I was using like the three stars in particular. I was mostly using that for, this is a photo of a high score I took in a music game. Uh, I take maybe like 150, 200 photos of scores in music games with my phone every time I'm in Japan. And I don't necessarily want to show my family every single high score I've had in Sound Voltex when I'm showing them photos I went, uh, of my trip to Japan. So what I would do back then is I would just rate them as three, and then they would, I mean, like, that's generally the, generally what the quality of the photo is anyway. And at the same time, they won't show up in my four-star, five-star filter for my Japan photos. So it was a really clever and quick way of tagging stuff as, yes, this is something I want to show the family. This is one of the really good photos that I want to have on my phone at all times. Uh, with that smart album and all that stuff it allowed me to have sort of this three-tiered approach now i don't have that anymore it's really unfortunate um so instead i've sort of resorted to not really caring um and the issue with that is i migrated to icloud photos uh last year after my trip to japan so i don't actually have data on how i would use photos.app with photos from my trip to Japan nowadays, because I just don't have any context for what that would be like. Um, so that's sort of strange in discussing what my workflow is like. Um, I still intend to use likes in photos.app to really indicate five star photos that I want on my phone at all times. The problem is I always have all my photos on my phone at all times, which is really weird. Um, but I like having the liked album is really just like, here is a quick filter to get to the photos that I shot that were really, really good. And if I want to show someone a night view of Odaiba's, uh, Odaiba decks 
which is really nice. And I edited the photo in Aperture and all of the colors look really popping and everything. And I just want to show people how awesome it is to be on the Bay side in Japan. I can just show them this photo and at any, at any, at any time and there's no effort required to find it. Um, what I've also been doing is uh, generally, I know that uh, Apple has been trying really hard since iOS 7-ish to push um, moments. I don't know what they're calling it now because now moments is another thing. Um, but generally they had this photo view where they were automatically grouping photos that were taken in the same location together. And I've generally found the results of that to be terrible. So I manually create albums for um, for trips, but for my Japan trips in particular because the volume of photos is so, so high. Uh, I split it into two. I have iPhone photos and I have the camera photos as two separate albums and that just allows me to filter quicker when i'm trying to find something because search i'm sorry i'm going to bitch about icloud photo search again the search isn't good it's really not good the new search in ios 10 it's not good i'm sorry um (laughs) it, it really isn't useful for finding anything at all and really i just want to be able to say show me the iPhone photos that were taken during my Yokohama trip in 2013, and I'll find it faster that way from scrolling through 100-something photos or 400-something photos. I don't care. It'll be faster. Um, so that's generally what I do for filtering those things. And then uh, I also have a smart album, which I call uh, Yokohama 2013 Curated, which is what I use when I show my family slideshows, um, which is basically like I said, filter out uh, so that it's only five-star and four-star photos. Again, I can't really do that anymore. I'm going to have to do it manually, which sucks. Um, And I've also considered another approach, which is um, you think a lot about photography going back to the days of film and how people had 24 photos that they could take. And I was like, for a while when I was trying to be more of a participant on Flickr, which seems like an antique thing to say nowadays because Flickr is so dead um, that it basically isn't worth mentioning. (laughs) But back in the day when I was using Flickr more heavily, I was really into this idea of I'm going to post the 24 best photos of my trip to Japan to Flickr and have like this film reel of photos that really sums up the trip. And I think that could be a good approach for someone like you who has like boatloads and boatloads of photos that you can't really do the entire job of filtering through all of those photos and editing all of those photos. Maybe you could just choose the 24 photos that you like the best in all of the photos of your trips and just edit those and be content with those 24 photos. And maybe you can even just be more granular and say, okay, I went to Paris. I went to Warsaw. I went to lean shipping. Here are the 24 best photos of each location. And that is a much more manageable task to do than having to do the entire batch of photos, especially if you use burst mode like me, where it just doesn't scale very well. It could be a better approach to just say, okay, I like this photo. I like this photo. I like this photo. This is the best one of these shots. And boom, let's edit those, at least edit those in priority and then get back to the rest later if you have time. Uh, The other thing I'm really excited about with regards to photos.app is now you can edit from anywhere. Um, And this is a big deal for me because uh, another application I was working on in the past, and you probably remember this, is I was working on an application to sync 
photo edits from iPhoto on iOS, which is long dead, but it was an app I enjoyed a lot, into Aperture. Oh, yeah. yeah. You were a big fan of that I app. am a huge fan of iPhoto for iOS. I will fight anyone who says that that app was bad because that app was genius. The problem is it was using a UI that a lot of people didn't understand. And I think this is sort of the problem is they actually made a WWDC session explaining how the iPhoto for iOS UI worked. And I think if everybody watched that session who tried to use iPhoto for iOS, they would immediately get the design goals of iPhoto for iOS and the application would automatically make sense for them. The problem is nobody's going to watch a fucking 50 minute video about why the UI is the way it is before using their app, especially not people who are not developers and don't have access to the video in the first place, right? Um, so that is sort of a problem. It was a very misunderstood application, but I loved the shit out of that application because it was incredibly powerful. Most of the functionality that was in iPhoto for iOS uh, became a part of Photos.app. And very quickly, I realized that Aperture was not really being maintained anymore. And so I, my desire to keep working on that application for a dying image management app sort of decreased and decreased. And eventually... Like, the cards were on the table. iPhoto for iOS was discontinued, and it's like, okay, well, there's no point in even working on this anymore, so I have to trash it all, which is unfortunate because I got really, really far in the process, and I've even used it for one of my trips. Um, so that's unfortunate. But now you can just use the camera com connection kit, import your photos into your iPad, edit them right there while you're on the plane back. If you have nothing to do for a 10- to 12-hour flight, which is generally what I have to do when I come back from Japan, and then I have less work to do once I get home and I have something to do while I'm in the sky. Uh, so that's something I know every, not everyone has a 10 hour to 12 hour flight to edit photos on when they get back from a trip. Um, but it's an idea. No, and it is an idea that I like. And I'll be honest, one of the first, uh, kind of pushing point, I would say to migrate myself to iCloud for library would be like, Hey, it was around the time when I was like trying to use my iPad more often. What if this is something that I now move to my iPad? What if it is something that becomes a task that I only do on my iPad? And this is where my kind of this idea started. It's like, okay, what if I do all of this editing on my iPad and then it syncs back to my Mac and syncs back to all of my devices? And now when I have maybe five, 10 minutes around, like I'm in the bus or I'm on my phone and then I just can do that chunk by chunk of like 15 to 20 minutes and at some point I'll just catch up. And to be honest though, I've kind of procrastinated a bit on it. <laughs> Nobody is surprised. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. You're right. But still, uh, at some point, uh, yeah. I actually have no excuses. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> but yeah. And I know Yannick and I are mentioning uh, mostly Apple products. And I think all of my comments regarding cloud storage solution could apply to Google Photos. Some people might use Flickr. Obviously, uh, all of those tools differ maybe on their editing uh, tools available. but in the general case, what I like about most of those products at different level is they try to do what 
I should be doing, but I'm too lazy or too busy to do. And uh, Google Photos is good on that. I haven't personally used it yet. Um, I'm actually seriously after Shannon showed me a demo of it today at work for an unrelated thing. Um, we we were just talking about, um, I was talking about how I got an an attachment in Hangouts. And if you send picture attachments in Hangouts, it automatically links it to Google Plus Photos, which is sort of a pain if you're trying to get the raw image file, because I was trying to use it in a web design and I couldn't actually get to the original file, which was sort of a problem. Um, but he showed me like, there was a panorama he took himself with his phone. And then there was the panorama that... Google Plus Photos stitched automatically from three photos he took of the same location. And you look mm-hmm. at them side by side, and the one that was made by Google Photos is way, way, way better than the one that he took with his phone. Yeah, and and it's also an approach that Apple is kind of pushing with iOS 10 and Photos app. is like they are bringing more quote-unquote intelligent feature where they could detect faces, they could detect, they could create full-on what they call memories and i'm not trying to say that the apple is better on anything it's just that like those products are made for me and not only for me they are made for people like me people that wants to be like yannick people that wants to be completionist and let's let's be honest right if we the tech heads are lazy as fuck about (laughs) about (laughs) um, managing our own photos the normal people are never going to do anything. Like if we are the nerds and we aren't doing it, they're not doing it either. Guaranteed. So it's actually really, really useful to have stuff like Google photos that makes it really trivial. Like it does animated gifts for you from photos that look like they can be animated. It does uh, put together photo montages as videos that you can then upload to social media to show off a trip you went on and all that stuff. Uh, It does all that stuff proactively. I am unfortunately not very optimistic on Apple's front because so much of the image processing smarts that Google has from A, indexing every image on the internet, and B, having access to everybody's photos libraries is just better for building the cloud knowledge for that kind of photo editing stuff like the smart photo editing stuff like stitching together panoramas and all that stuff that gets better with the more data you throw at it and unfortunately apple as we've repeated many times before they are limiting themselves to only what's local on your phone and to the processing power of your phone and that doesn't really scale well to doing things that are as good as what google photos can do we can hope that it'll be as good as Google Photos will do, but it won't actually make it as good as Google Photos, which is sort of the unfortunate approach to Apple's pro uh, pro privacy. Man, that's sort of hard to say. Uh, pro privacy stance. And I'll be honest with you, and we'll see. I'll obviously I'll. I think it has been clear in this podcast that we'll tend to kind of uh, use Apple's product and software and. Who knows? Maybe in a year, uh, I'll be migrated on Google Photos, or maybe Flickr will be great again. Hello. Uh, make Flickr great again. Uh, yeah, make Flickr <laughs> make Flickr great great again, or something like that. But still, like those solution, and you know what? Even for my procrastination needs, maybe the Apple solution might not be the perfect one. 
it might just be good enough for my for my needs and i don't know if it will be we'll just see and uh maybe i'll try google plus photos with a subset of my photos i don't know but i'm open to the idea yeah imagine if google plus photos like you could procrastinate for a really 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 long time and then google plus photos will have edited all of your photos for you (laughs) it's gonna be great yeah, it might, that might be a bit dangerous from because from all of the comments I hear about Google Photos, Google Plus Photos, it's like it might it might make me more of a procrastinator for my photo management. <laughs> so we'll see. All right. Well, that's pretty much all I have for tonight. Uh, we completely improved this entire episode. I had no notes, and I think it was sort of obvious um but we'll see do you have any closing Um, statements yeah and i think regarding that is it has been an episode we wanted to do for a while and it it seems to me and maybe I, i don't want to reflect that on you but like it's weird our like photography even these days where we take tons of pictures that are kind of discardable. And when you give back the analogy of maybe using like a, a 24 roll of pictures, the best 24 pictures of your trip, like even if digital photography is so free, is so available, so easy to do, for me, it, have a, it hasn't lost its pertinence. And all of those tools we've seen in the last like decades just made it, more important to my eyes like it's easier to take more to get more details to and all of this in the end yes we're geeks but in the end to me it translates more into let's remember this particular moment in my life yeah i mean that's that's why we take photos it's to capture those memories and to be able to look back on them and say, this is when I got really, really drunk, and I don't remember how I got back home, but I took a photo when I got back home to prove to my friends in Instant Messenger that I got home safely, except <laughs> I don't remember taking that photo or any of the photos <laughs> after that. And by the way, I have no idea how I got on the train to get back here, because this is a part of town I've never been in before. Not that that actually happened, but... <laughs> I was about to say true story <laughs> cool story bro but that, that, yeah that would be my closing remarks is <laughs> it, even in all of this like this kind of as of an i i think it's something that i now that we talk about it is i just realized that even still even if i'm a big procrastinator on it it has like a deep importance in in my life and i want to like i would just like lose a part of myself if something would happen to those photos it has a deep importance to your life, but you're too lazy to edit your photos. I know that that's uh, kind of ironic. Uh, but still, there, I haven't lost any pictures yet. Yeah. So that's good. That's the imp- Yes. HFS yeah, Plus is going to eat all your photos. <laughs> and I think we'll end on that. So, I don't know if I'll have show notes. Maybe it will be <laughs> a surprise. Uh, I, I mean, I could link to some follow-up stuff. There, okay, there are going I'm to sure. be links concerning this episode. Maybe not the episode's topic, but there are going to be links concerning the episode <laughs> at limitlesspossibility.net/slash forty-six. Yes, it's going to be a surprise. 
Also, if you want to go to our back catalog of episodes, you can also find the podcast itself on limitlesspossibility.net. You can also follow the podcast on at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can also find myself on Twitter. And you know what? These days, I've been more. I've been tweeting a little bit more. So I noticed. Good. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good. You noticed too. So, if you want to fi- follow follow me, I'm on Twitter at at Lucanoush, That's L U C C O N O U C H E. And I'm at Sakurina. S A K U R I N A. I have something to plug. I might actually be a guest Net- on a podcast uh, soon. Uh, so look for that. Oh no! Are you, are you trying to say that you're divorcing me right now? I, of the I, I'm not divorcing uh, you. I am going to educate uh, people on another podcast, maybe. So look for that soon. Ooh. Okay, I'm sure in a future in a future show notes episode, we'll add the link to this podcast if it happens. Yeah. If not, see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. <laughs>